This is the Hope Church Mill Creek Podcast, and you're hearing the voice of lead pastor Josh Westmoreland. Hope Church Mill Creek is a church replant in the Hope Church family based out of Danville, Virginia. Our church specifically is in Roxboro, North Carolina, just about an hour north of Durham. Our family of Hope Churches has a total of 13 locations at this time along the Virginia-North Carolina border, mostly in smaller rural communities. Our uh, specific location has existed officially since January 22, when my family and I moved from Mississippi to lead this plant. We hope you enjoy this podcast and bring something away from it that helps you. If you do, it would help us greatly if you left a good review on Apple Podcasts or you just, you know, shared it. We wish you all the best, uh, grace and peace to all of you, and happy listening. So Matthew 5, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to go through this thing. I'll give you the name for it here in just a second, commonly called. But how many of you have your Bible with you? You got your Bible with you? All right, if you can, follow along. If you can't, you know, you can look at it on the screen. First couple of verses. Let's see what we notice. This is interesting to me. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. We're going to make a few notes along the way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. All right, so this is interesting. What some people call the greatest sermon ever is starting to not look like a sermon. Because it says he saw the crowd and he left them basically and went up on the mountain. Crowds couldn't follow him into the mountain. His disciples followed him to the mountain. Okay, well, I thought as a preacher you're just supposed to find the biggest crowd you can and preach to them. I think sometimes we've convoluted what sermons and messages are. We think that we have to have big crowds. As a matter of fact, Jesus did preach to the crowds. He did talk to the crowds. But you know who he spent the most time with? His disciples. He left the crowd and he went up on the mountain and check this out. Also doesn't look like a sermon. He did what? He sat down. I mentioned this a minute ago, but I think it's a biblical point. There is no biblical basis in New Testament Christianity that you have to have a pulpit to preach the Word of God. There's one instance in the book of Nehemiah where the prophet Ezra had people build a pulpit of wood. And they stood behind it and they read the Bible for hours. But somewhere along the way, in traditional Christianity, we had this idea that we have to have certain pieces of furniture to communicate the gospel. You don't need any furniture to communicate the gospel. You don't need any building to communicate the gospel. You just need the gospel. He sat down and he talked to his disciples. The disciples came to him and here's what he said. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. Do you see the common word in like all of these? Verses number 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. What do they all start with? The word blessed. Anybody want to take a stab at what that word means? And I, I kind of want to do this more like, more like an open forum. I guess it's still a sermon, but I want to ask you. Anybody want to take a stab at what the word blessed means? Well, your Bible I even might have notes that says kind of what it means. Starts usually, who, who, who said something? 
All right. What you, you got it, Bonnie? Was that you? What did Beth say? Favored? That's good. Joy? Well-being? Commonly, it means the word happy. Right? So, and what's crazy is it kind of goes through this, and I don't know if you've noticed this going through it, but it's almost like it's backwards language. It's like, you'll be happy, you'll be blessed if you are poor. Okay? Um, that's backwards. Right? How many of you have ever gotten shorted by your employer and you said, well, praise the Lord. I just love abject poverty. Please give me a dollar and a hour, a dollar and a half an hour less than we agreed on. I love that. No. Blessed are those who mourn. So, hey, you'll be happy if you'll be sad. Think about that for a second. But I think it's important for us to look at what the word really means. Let me ask you, what makes you happy? See, I can already feel that that's kind of boring to me because it's like, okay, you know, the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, comes to mind. I don't know why. But it's like, hey, let's preach a sermon on happiness. Hey, you want to be happy? Hey, you want to be happy? Good grief. We all want to be happy. But do you think this kind of happiness is the kind of happiness that comes from getting a new thing? Because how many of us have, have bought a new thing, we've purchased a new thing, we've purchased a new property, we've purchased some clothes, and then that high kind of comes, and then what happens to it very, very soon after? It crashes, right? So do you think this kind of happiness, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want that high of happiness, man, do these things. I don't know. I think we do this over and over and over again. I know that I've, point, I've seen in my life that I had done it. Chasing after, kind of like a donkey is chasing a carrot. You ever seen a picture, get that picture in your mind? Going after it and chasing it? See, I think for us to look at the Scripture appropriately, and that's what we must do. Sometimes what we do is we take a verse and we run with it and we just holler about it. I grew up under preaching like that. Hey, I got this thought in my head, so let me go find a verse that goes with the thought. You have started wrong. When you have a thought, i got to go get a verse, and then we'll run with the Bible verse. And I'm sad to say I've heard much preaching like that in my life, and you have started on the wrong foot if you go that way. Start not with your thought, but with God's thought. Amen. Start with what the Word says. Start with what it means. And then build upon His Word because all other ground. So what kind of happiness are we talking about here? We're talking about the type of happiness that makes you content. The kind of happiness that rests in your soul that says, I don't have a need for this thing and that thing and this relationship and that relationship and this drug and this thing and that thing. I have a happiness that you cannot take away. I have a happiness even if they kill me, they can't take away. I have the happiness and the contentment of 
God Almighty in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the happiness that's talking about. So would it be wise for us to think when we look at this Scripture and these blessed, they call them these beatitudes. You ever heard that before? comes from the Latin word. I think it's beatus, however you say that. Happiness. It's wise for us to see each one of these beatitudes not as a random thing, but as a common thread that is connected by one thing, and that is Jesus. What makes a soul happy, eternally happy? Jesus. Do you want to be content and passionate even in that content? And do you want to be loved and loved? Do you want to be merciful and also have mercy given to you? Do you want to be content? I do. Honest moment. I struggle with being content personally. If I'm, if, if I'm going to be gun barrel straight, I'm going to be gun barrel straight. I struggle with thinking that the next purchase or the next thing is going to fill my heart. Even today, materialism is a difficult battle for me. And I wonder if it's maybe a battle for you too. The next firearm, the next car, the next truck, the next house, the next pair of clothes, shoes, whatever. The next meal, the next movie. What makes a soul happy is Jesus. So let's look at these Beatitudes as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, and I believe this is exactly what he's saying. He's not speaking to the crowds. He's saying, hey guys, they're having a conversation. Hey guys, you'll be happy if, and let's look at them. So are you still with me? Verse number four. I believe Three, three and four, rather. I believe these are one and the same. I'll explain why here in a moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, you might look at that and say, well, Jesus is saying the poor is happy and they go to heaven. I mean, it kind of looks like that, but, whoa, hang on a second. Do you think all poor People go to heaven? And if that's so, where do we draw the line and what is the metric? Well, if you make under this certain amount every year, then you're poor, therefore you go to heaven. That's difficult for us to really uh, flesh out because we live in a very rich, affluent country. So we might think that, man, I tell you what, if you make under this many thousands of dollars a year, you're poor. Yeah, but when you compare to a third world country where they're barely pulling in a dollar a day, that's poverty. The key is, blessed are the poor in what? What does it say? The poor in spirit. Right? Kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who mourn. So, I don't know if anybody in here has ever had the privilege of filing bankruptcy or not, but it's not a fun process. Also, if you file bankruptcy, you know that for, I think it's seven years, your credit it's just shot. Now, if you have to file bankruptcy, that's, that's tough, right? Because that restricts you getting loans and stuff like that. 
But in Middle Eastern times, when somebody filed bankruptcy, they came to a creditor and they said, um, hey, uh, I, I'll let you, you know, you, you, you let me borrow this, and I'm sorry, but I can't pay it back. They didn't say, oh, well, I'm trying to do this with my mic like this. They didn't come and say, well, shame on you, we'll penalize you, add some interest, you come pay him back later. No. When you file bankruptcy in Middle Eastern times, they came to your house and the creditor said, the law says that I can have your son or your daughter as a slave for a minimum of five years if they were kind. If the, if the debt was great enough, they could come to the house and say, we got your house, we got your livestock, and we have all of you. We're taking your wife, and we're taking you, and you are our slaves. That's what that meant. And what Jesus, I believe, is saying here is when you come to God with an attitude of, God, I have nothing, I have nothing that I can give you. God, I, I've thought that, you know, all this time that I'm, I'm a fairly decent person and I can, I, I, I'm pretty good and I'll, I'll give you what I have. I, I may not have a lot, but I have something to stand on and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back a little bit as, as life goes on. And, and here's, here's some money, here's some stuff. God, here's a little bit of time. I'll go to church. I'll do this thing or that thing. God, I have something. And God says something like this, then you're not there yet. Because someone who comes to Christ doesn't come and say, I'm pretty good, I'm decent, I'm not that bad. Someone who comes to Christ comes to them on his hands and knees and says, Jesus, I am broke. I am bankrupt. I am spiritually bankrupt. Oh God, could you please save me from myself? Could you save me from my sin? Oh God, I am so messed up. God, please, through Jesus, can you reach down in this pit that I'm in and can you save my wretched soul? And it's at that moment when I believe God looks down from heaven and says, there. We live in this day and age where the word manifestation is thrown around like, I've heard, you hear it almost every day. Manifest, manifest. Manifest and speak positive. And you even hear it from preachers. and Speak this and say this. And there may be something to that. But I also think, this is a working theory in my mind, I wonder if there's not a certain power in the words, I can't. And I mean that positively, not negatively. Because when you come to God and you say, I can do this, and I can do this, and I've got my bootstraps, and I'm going to pull them up, and, and I'm okay. What are you doing? You're saying that you have the power to save you. See, when you come to God, and you are spiritually bankrupt, and you realize that you have nothing that you can pay God back with, then that causes you to mourn, like the Scripture says. when you're broken, and when you realize how poor you are, 
you mourn. I want to ask y'all just straight up. Have you ever gotten there? I want to ask every single one of us, Hope Church Covenant Partners, people who have been at this church for years, have you ever reached the point when you were broken by God? Did you ever get to the point when you were broken on the altar of God? Or did you sail through life and think that, well, my mom went to this church or my dad went to this church or, you know, I have relatives that were deacons or preachers or, you know, I've got a good upbringing, so I'm good. No, you're not. Sir, ma'am, I proclaim and I beg to you today, when did it hit you that without Christ you were broken? When did it hit you? When did it hit your soul that you were hopelessly lost? And you say, well, it never has. Stop right there. We try to diagnose and say, well, my problem is probably this and my problem is probably that and that my problem may be this. The first step is being broken by God and accepting that you are hopeless on your own. You have to come to God with an aversion of I can't so that He can. If you think you're good, you are not. There is none good. Not even one person in this room, you say, well, I haven't murdered, I haven't sold drugs, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I haven't slept around, I don't have this under my belt, da, 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 all this stuff. If you can't see yourself just as every other sinner, then sir or ma'am, you're not even there yet. I do wonder, last week, I wonder in my heart, last week when we had people come in this room that you'd say, man, they looked rough. I do wonder if there was people that said, oh, golly, look at those people. And thank God I haven't heard that. But if that was your attitude, you need to be looking in the mirror. You say, well, you look at them, look at all that stuff. and Man, God does not see as man sees. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. You judge people, and I judge people by appearance a lot of times. Let's just be honest, we do. God's judgment is perfect, though. I would much rather have somebody that looks, some, looks rough and maybe even sounds rough, maybe even smells rough. I struggle with that one a little bit, to be honest with you. But it's just like, hey, uh, let me pray for you. Bye. I just struggle there. Just be, I'm not perfect. But I would have somebody that you look at and you say, I just don't know if that's a Christian. I would rather have somebody that looks rough and has a pure heart and will be honest with me than somebody who is polished and clean and who is deceptive and angry and bitter Ten times over. 
I'd rather have somebody that even struggles with their language and saying words maybe that they ought not, but will at least be honest with me than somebody who never says a, who never says a curse word, but who will talk behind the back. Which is worse? Verse number five. Blessed are the what? The meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. I've always struggled with this one because it's like, what is meekness? What is meekness? What is meekness? And if I'm honest, a lot of times in my mind, I've thought, when I think the word meekness, it's almost kind of like this. You picture somebody that comes to you kind of like, uh, can I do a voice? Is it okay? It, somebody who comes to you, they're, they're, you know, they, they kind of walk up to you like the hunchback of Notre Dame, and they're like, you know, pardon me, sir. Pardon me, sir. Could you please spare a shilling? Oh, could you please give me a quid? Or go buy me a loaf of bread for me wife and me kids? Oh, please, please. Please, I'm a meek little person, please. Like, I, I don't know why things like that run through my head all the time. And that's what, when I see meek, it's like, that's what, it's just like this golem-like, you know, yeah, oh, please, yeah. One thing is for sure. Meekness is not weakness. It's not. Sometimes when you think, well, this person's meek, then, then that means they're mousy. No. Some people say, well, that person is just a meek person naturally. I don't think meekness comes very naturally. I think meekness is actually a fruit of the, uh, possibly a fruit of the Spirit. Meekness just means somebody who's gentle. You say, well, there's people that are naturally gentle. Okay, let me ask you. Um, how have, have you ever seen someone who was uh, naturally maybe... Uh, intimidating, naturally strong, maybe even aggressive in nature, but for the right people or maybe even their people, they can turn and be gentle to the people they love. You ever seen that? It's kind of beautiful, isn't it? So meekness isn't somebody who's weak. Meekness, I think, is somebody, from what I can tell, who accepts Christ and who puts their head down and puts their hand to the plow and says, okay, God, so we need to do this. So you want me to do this? Okay. So I'm going to get to work. All right. And they don't check up all the time and make sure, hey, 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 is the outcome going my way? Because, you know, I'm putting my, but hey, you, 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 you guys need to do this. It's like, no. Meekness is somebody who starts to work for Christ because they know Christ and says, hey, God, I'm praying about this. I'm going to do this. And hey, whatever you want to be an outcome, it's fine with me. What makes you stressed and what makes me stressed? I think it's a lot of times the same thing. When things are out of control. I'm not going to ask you how many of you are in a season of life when you feel like your life is out of control. But sometimes we do. How many of you would agree and say there are seasons that things are just chaos? Can I get an amen or something right there? Okay. Also, when I get stressed is when I have this idea. It's like, okay, God, so we need to do this, right? Okay, we need to do this. Okay, God, here's my plan. All right, I'm going to implement, hear the word, my 
plan. Here's my plan. And God, I think this is what you're going to do. Now here's how we're going to accomplish this. And I'm going to do this. And, and I'm going to make sure. And here I go with a square block and trying to ram that thing in a round hole. And pretty soon there's, there's pieces and splinters everywhere. And it's like, God, why won't this go? Come on. I thought this was our plan. And it's almost like God says, leave that to me. You discern what it is you need to do. You gather counsel around you, which is wise, by the way. You make business, big decisions in your life. It's good to have counsel. Put your hand to the plow and work and forget about the outcome. Leave that to me. Could we all learn lessons from that? How many of you need to work on that? Let's just be honest. Okay. Me too. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'm not going to read you the scripture because I, I want to try to run through these. If y'all can give me just a few more minutes. Can y'all give me a few more minutes? All right. I'm not going to take a vote because I'm afraid of how it will turn out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want you to think for a second what it is that you love. Like, what, what do you do or what can you get involved in or whatever that makes, your, that makes time just stand still? And like, before you know it, hours has passed by. Can you get that in your mind? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's even a person that you just can't get enough of them. Maybe it's even something... I'm. Uh, this for sake of illustration, maybe it's, maybe it's even something sinful. That's like, man, I just love this. I can't live without it. I just love it so much. I'm passionate about it. And it's like, you just love that. All right, now take that, whatever that is, and imagine what would happen, what do you think would happen, rather, if you could take the passion and the pure love that you have for whatever that is, but you had that for God and His Word. What do you think would happen in your life? Do you think things would begin to change? I must admit, I struggle here too. I have many passions and interests in my life, but if I could just get as passionate for, those, for the Word of God as I am about those things, I know my life would flip upside down. But here's the question. If it's not God, if it's not His Word, then what are we doing? We get passionate about all the wrong things, do we not? How many of us get passionate about temporary things that aren't going to mean a hill of beans whenever we're in the grave? Right? Should that not convict us? Now God uses those things. You have interest, I have interest. God uses those things as connecting points to talk to other people. And by the way, thank God for that. And that's how we should view them. Whether you like motorcycles, like Jeff came last week. Whether you're into playing cards, karate, cooking, whatever it is. But why is it when it comes to God and His Word... Here's why I think. I think it's because we fill our life full up of it. And we're like, and this is all we think about. And before you know, there's no room for God. Right? So if you would, go to verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
and blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I know this seems like a lot, but I'm going to go through these, and these are connected. Have you ever seen, um, anybody ever, rem- you, you ever seen a picture of the water cycle? You ever seen that before? You know, like the water cycle, it's, you know, starts in the streams and the, you know, the, the oceans and everything, and, you know, it evaporates, goes up into the clouds, and then eventually the clouds begin to clean that water, and as it begins, becomes too heavy, what happens to the water? It falls where? It falls down, right? Well, then it goes into the ground, and then the ground also cleans, right? Y'all follow me? It cleans it, we use it, eventually it goes back into the ground, down into perhaps the the water table or the aquifers, and back into the streams, fills them back up, and then what eventually happens again? I think mercy is the same way. When you have been given mercy, what are you most likely to give? Right? Mercy. Is anybody still here with me? Y'all looking dazed. Is it the heat? Is it me? All right, we're struggling right now, but that's okay. I'm glad you're here. If you're still here, let me just hear you say a hearty, I'm here. Oh, man, that's like 40%. All right, let me give you these. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mentioned that a moment ago, but what cleans somebody? What cleans your heart? Jesus. The Word. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he's talking about the vine. You know that passage of Scripture, talking about I am the vine and you're the branches, that sort of thing. He says, now are you clean through the Word that I've spoken to you. So what cleans a soul? The Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. He purifies us. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, it seems like there's three more, but really it's just this last one because I believe it's all intertwined. All right? If I could have your attention for just a minute, I'm going to finish this up right here. All right? We still with me? Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers. I think we confuse peacekeeping with peacemaking. We think that, oh, as long as I can keep the peace and say what I need to say to kind of keep everything together and keep the glue and just like, well, we're keeping this. So, so we've made peace. No, you've kept peace. You haven't made peace. Making peace nationally, you know what making peace with other nations sometimes look like? It looks like war. Sometimes we call Jesus the Prince of Peace, and the Bible says he is that. But Jesus himself said in John chapter number 10, or Matthew chapter number 10, he said, I did not come to bring peace. I came with a sword. And he goes on to say that I will set a man against his wife, and I will set a mother against her daughter. Why? Because when you make peace with God, please don't miss this, when you make peace with God, not everybody's going to jump up and down and say, yay, yay, and they might at first even. But as you begin to walk with Christ and as you begin to forsake the people that bring the worst out in you and as you begin to cut off those who even advanced and benefited from you not walking with Christ, do you think they're going to love you? No. Even till today, we think that, well, man, you get in church and, man, mom will be proud or dad will be proud. Well, maybe. 
But sometimes what I've seen is that even mom and dad might go to church. But if their son or daughter really begins to serve Christ and begins to put away the things of the flesh and begins to really follow after Christ, it makes people around them uncomfortable. Because it's like, oh, you think you're better now. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're, you're one of those people now. When you make peace with God, a lot of times with men, there is not peace. I have seen it in religion in my own life. I have seen it with the world. And when you make peace with God, with people, a lot of times it's turmoil. But let me ask you, is it worth it? Those of you that have followed Christ for some time, is it worth it? Hey, thank you so much for listening. It, it means the world to me that you would take the time to listen to our sermons. If, you, if you'd like to connect with us, shoot us an email at office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. That's office at hopechurchmillcreek.com. Or just come by for a service in person, 1030 a.m. Sunday mornings. Address is 1562 Mill Creek Road, Roxboro, North Carolina. Uh, I would love to meet you in person. And um, I guess that's all for now. So don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast if you would kindly. We pray that you'd have a great day. Uh, for Hope Church Mill Creek, I'm Pastor Josh. Grace and peace.